welcome to episode 309 of Retro Encounter RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and we're here for the same topic as last week, but finishing the game off this time. It's Cosmic Star Heroine, and it's the same panel. Let's introduce them, starting with Audra Bowling. Hey! Nice to be here. Great to hear from you again, Audra, and also Jonathan Logan. Hello, everyone. So, Audra and Jana, we all finished Cosmic Star Heroin in time to record. I'm grateful for that, especially after my embarrassing showing from last month. But uh, this is the first time playing CSH for all three of us, I think. So I, I want your overall impressions, uh, abridged version, please, uh, starting with you, Audra. Well, I enjoyed the game, but I can't say I'll probably remember it too much after a couple months from now. <laughs> there's a there's a hesitant tone in your voice that I, I think I somewhat understand. Uh, uh, Jono, same question. Uh, this is actually my second time through. I oh, my bad. Played, I played it a few years ago. Yeah, remember it was the uh, game I used to audition for RPG Fan. Right, um, right. Yeah, uh, first time I played through it, I liked it. I didn't love it, but I really, really liked it. So when you suggested this episode, I thought, oh, okay, well, I'd like to play through it again. And I hate to say that it did not land as well this time as it did last time for me i i think i'm basically in agreement with both of you i i don't want to say i i liked it necessarily more or less than either of you because we'll, we'll figure that out as we record this episode but i i liked parts of this game but other parts just seemed to go like just blow right past me with no effect on me at all and it didn't quite stick the landing like i thought I thought Cosmic Star Heroin had good parts, but as an overall package, a, a, a not a bad but slightly underwhelming RPG is my overall feeling. But we'll um, we're going to talk about all these parts and why they make us feel the way that they do. Where, where we left off, or at least where I left off, where we stopped discussing the game last episode, um, I think I had just obtained the ship and landed on the uh, in the underground section of Romo, the the uh, the underground cavern that is somewhat wild west and also has you know mines and a prison and a, a bunch of other stuff uh and uh we, we get to one of the more excuse me one of the more spy sections of the game where you infiltrate a wealthy landowner's mansion in hopes of getting some information from him and i i feel like that there's a lot of parts of the game like this where they had an idea for a character or a dungeon or a boss or something and they were just really excited about the idea and threw it in the game without maybe having enough connective tissue to it. Because didn't it seem like suddenly you were sneaking around and suddenly you were in a spy mission that, you know, just seemed disjointed? This game feels disjointed, and I think the mansion part of it is part of that. Am I, am I being fair here? Yeah, actually, it was well, pretty, I mean, it almost seemed randomly thrown in. I, I, I don't mind the change of pace of the mansion mission. Like, like they wanted to have Alyssa in an evening dress skulking around a mansion, listening, like eavesdropping on conversations to find a code. Like, like the a good idea. Yeah, yeah, the idea of that is great. But then doing it, it's like, oh, this is like a, a dungeon with no encounters. That's a, that's a little bit, you know, find the next uh, plot flag kind of deal. That, that I, I don't know if it was too short or not detailed enough. It, it just it didn't totally land for me. Yeah, she does get caught pretty quickly. From what yeah. I remember. If you figure out the puzzle fairly quickly, then the whole dungeon could be four minutes. Although it took me a little bit longer than that. But 
it's a it, like it, it, you it did seem to be kind of zero to 60 you're in the house you find your friends you find the code you're in the, you're stuck in jail yep that's that's pretty much it it's there's not a whole lot of character work done there there's no real uh there's no real reveals that matter to the overall uh plot line it's just kind of like it's a basic spy mission and I guess what you get out of it is you do find out where you need to go next uh, from the from the uh, the rich guy that owns the mansion. I forget his name. The next uh, plot flag. Yeah, exactly. Then you you discover where the next plot flag is, and in prison you meet Clark, the uh, the the very silly dancing robot, um, and then yes. bust and then bust out of jail with him alongside Lauren and Sue, who went into the mansion with you. I, I mean, maybe my favorite part of the whole thing were were Lauren and, and Sue ma- like masquerading as a as a server and bartender. That actually that actually sort of fit their characters somewhat, giving giving them some rare character attention. Yeah, I like the fact that they were like, we didn't need to go to all that trouble to get the stupid ticket. We just snuck in as waitstaff. That was easy. Yeah, because they made you do all this side quest beforehand to get the dress and everything. <laughs> Yeah, a couple of fetch quests in a row. One of them, which was uh, finding a painting, and you discover that the person that stole the painting is Umi from Cthulhu Saves the World. <laughs> a, a very random cameo, but a, a technically a cameo. There are quite a few cameos in this game, shall we say. Whether or not they are a, a, appropriate for the overall tone or not is another question. Yeah, they're, I mean, I, I, I think thrown-in cameo is apt. It's a... Uh, when Z-Boyd references their previous games in Cosmic Star Heroine, there is, you know, like there there was a synapse firing of recognition from me because I, I enjoyed uh, yeah, basically all, all of their older games to some degree. But it's, it's like, why did they do this? Like, was there a did was there a point other than a cameo for the sake of cameo? And I, I basically I don't think so. It's like. Again, a lot of their design decisions in this game felt like they were doing so for the sake of the idea and not to create a coherent whole. Yeah, the only character that I think actually technically doesn't even belong in the game but doesn't bother me is Pause. Yeah, and Pause has been in almost every one of their games. Is the uh... oh, is he the alien cat? Yep, yeah. the alien. There, there's a race of alien cats, and Pause is the named one that you fight in a Colosseum battle. Hmm. That that you that can join your uh your your crew, and and I believe pause is the uh, uh is the avatar of a longtime friend of uh of Z Boyd Games. I, I I think she's staff on RPGamer.com. I'd have to look it up. Mm. Uh, but the but yeah, like um, like uh, pause and Umi and a couple of the post game bosses are all cameos. And I, I think that as a post game boss, like fighting Cthulhu and Dem and those people, is fine. But just having Umi just be there for one, excuse me, being there for one conversation just felt a little bit about up left field. I honestly didn't clock it until right until you mentioned it. Now I'm like, oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. She, and she mentions looking for her partner, who's obviously Cthulhu, because they're sort of a uh, they're sort of a duo in Cthulhu Saves the World. And then you f- you meet Cthulhu later in the game as an optional boss fight. But uh, speaking of characters thrown in there without much of a point uh clark who you meet in jail and then you get your uh your your prison break dungeon after him i i mean is is there a character with less of a point than him in the entire game i uh, sort of looked at his dance moves to figure out oh, okay he can be he can generate style quickly 
and has a powerful electricity chain combo that takes a couple of turns to build up. But then after that, I just he just wasn't on my team at all. Like I, he was the character I cared for the least in the whole game. Yeah, yeah I, he and Finn are the I two think who I are had him for the in the party that dungeon, and then never again. And and you said Finn was the other was tied at the bottom of the list for you. I think Clark so. and Finn are the two who are the uh, the lowest rungs in this game, just in terms of characters who are. Characters who would be almost interesting NPCs, but for some reason they were promoted to become actual playable characters. Finn kind of reminded me almost of like your typical JRPG hero with his like power of friendship talk and stuff, which I wonder if that was on purpose. Yeah, I wonder, and he even mentions that he's a, well, he, he is Alyssa's cousin. And I wonder if like, uh this is the creators saying hey if this was a less cool rpg finn might be the main character because he's kind of a you know space cop space marine normal ish hero attitude kind of guy and uh, and i don't think his skills are that interesting like he has a couple hit all attacks like one fire attack and he he's very tanky and that's about it yeah um despite the fact that the mansion mission is a little bit by numbers i think that there was there was some potential there at least you were going around doing something you were it wasn't just it wasn't necessarily fetch quest it was like you were trying to track down the number to get into the basement and then once you got into the basement you had a you know classic rpg escape from the dungeon level um i think that the this section for me anyway it, it still had a little bit of momentum to it no, like, it, it, it wasn't bad. And again, I, th- I think it was a fun idea. I just wish they had either given you more to do or made it a little bit... I, I, again, it was a good idea that just felt a little undercooked to me. Yeah. And then uh, after Clark joins and you figure out where you need to go next, uh, I, I believe next is um, Cybe and the and the Skimmerax Hive. Is that is that right? Or am I skipping something? I think that's right. You go You I... go above ground and then, yeah. I think yeah. you're right. Right, because you go to the um, you, the town that the mansion is in is on the far east of the map, and then after you get out of there, the elevator unlocks and puts you right at the doorstep of the swamp mini dungeon, which you know the, if you like poison damage, have I got a dungeon for you? Uh, and and then you you know you you uh, do a sort of a a explore both halves of the dungeon sort of mini quest, and then get to the Skimmerex town where these uh. I, I don't know. They they remind me of like Starcraft Zerg to a degree. They're these sort of scorpion like aliens that are part cybernetic, uh, and but but they're actually like quite open and friendly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I liked I like that take on them. Yeah, it's uh, it, like kind of yeah. Actually, you're absolutely right. It's Zerg and the Borg seem to be the two primary sources for their look, but uh, they are a friendly version of both. And they still have hive minds and that kind of thing, but uh, not destructive ones. Right. And they used to live in a large towering hive citadel of sorts. But uh, after it became infiltrated or corrupted by something, they were forced out of the hive. So they don't have a pure hive mind anymore. Like, like they, like and you could tell by talking around the village, like some of the adults remember the hive mind. The children have never really had it. And Cybe, one of the, I guess elders or leaders among the Skimmerax is trying to take back the hive and research technology that'll allow them to re to 
to you know be whole again and you, you meet Saibi right at the beginning of the of that hive uh castle or dungeon or whatever you want to call it and he uh he joins your team and Saibi is uh audrey you mentioned previous episode that you thought he was your favorite character he, yes he, he might also be my favorite character because Saibi ha- it has a bunch of really good support skills and a bunch of interesting tricks and uh he he has natural skills that are kind of like the song program that uh, Lauren comes equipped with, but are more powerful because you can equip accessories that enhance them and stuff. Like, Saibi's great. He almost never left my party. Yeah, Saibi was one of my main party members. And from a character point of view, Saibi actually has one of the better uh, reasons to join the party and to go out and actually fight this battle. Everyone else is kind of just, you're just collecting them and they're like, ah, eh, not doing anything better. But Saibi actually has a reason to do it. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's one of my favorite characters, too. Yeah, yeah yes, he kind yes. of just stands out. We should have a Saibi club. <laughs> sure, yeah. This is the first official meeting of the Saibi Appreciation Station. Why not? <laughs> um, but Saibi, uh, he wants to, you know, um, help his people take back the hive. And also, that dungeon at the very beginning of the game, the research lab, that's a, a bit of a horror show. And you and you have almost like an, an alien-esque uh, run from the monster in there. Uh Largely, they were exper- experimenting on his fellow Skimmerax uh, because we'll get into this more a little bit later. The research that was going into the mind control device wanted to use the Skimmerax mind control, uh, not mind control, hive mind. mind yeah. yeah, they wanted to use the hive mind to try and control the minds of others. So it was it was mostly Skimmerax being experimented on, and Saibi wants again wants to put a stop to that. So so Saibi is you know. Uh, is, is, is a scientist, is driven. Uh, he, he has, you know, specific goals and rights that he wants to wrong um, and is, uh, again, in his short introduction, a more fully-fledged character than a lot of others. But because he's a scientist, he knows um, a way to counteract the mind control device. Uh, and uh, after you help him with some stuff on the hive, uh, the, your next mission is to go to a dungeon to get minerals that he needs uh, to, to build that counteracting device, which is, again... A, a rare dungeon that has a clear start and end and point and and point to it. <laughs> but after you take after you take care of those two dungeons in a row, the the uh, the hive and the mines, um, Saibi, you know, uh, basically uh, concocts a device with one of the mind control devices because again, I think um, uh, Alyssa has one and uh, and uh, the enemy has one. Um, uh, 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 Director Steel. Uh, Saibi appropriates that device into an anti-mind control device so Steel won't be able to control your minds w- when you eventually uh, clash with him. And after that, I think... Um, is, is that when you go to Newlip next? I think so. I believe that's the order. Right, okay. So uh, you go you go to Newlip, and... Uh, on this planet, there's a different race of aliens. I, I don't remember. I couldn't find their names. I, I'm not, or maybe they, they were mentioned and I just forgot. So can we call them Nulupians or Nuluptians? Uh Yes, that's better Nulupians than what the, sound good. Nulupians. Yeah, that's better than what the official card on Steam says, which is alien race. All right. Yeah, that's a little bit too vague, so we're going to go with Nulupian. Um, the Nulupian people are, they resemble... I don't know, sort of like alien greys. They're humanoid, but they have like little antenna and long ears, and their their colors uh, like like turquoise or sort of a pale pink sometimes. So they're they're not quite human, but definitely humanoid. 
but once they die, uh, their spirit sort of returns to the planet and they can come back as a ghost and inhabit sort of a, 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 an ecto suit or a spectral suit. So when you walk around the Nulupian cap capital, uh, there are some people that are fully humanoid and some people that are, you know, like wispy spectral versions of themselves in one of these suits. And it, and they do it because of, you know, a, you know, a, a spectral connection that they have with their home planet and the very nature of, of them as a, as a non-human race. So it's a, an interesting concept as a, as a race, but, um, like shortly after you arrive to the capital, uh, the uh, the mayor that meets with you is is poisoned and is clearly clearly murdered and you're framed for murder but you do have a chance to um, excuse me you do have an opportunity to defend yourself so you meet with a new Lupian detective named Orson who is the uh, the last party member that you meet uh, un unless you count um, Zorv rejoining you but oh and shoot we haven't mentioned a couple other people have we like after you uh, after you get your spaceship. Uh, a few people that had been sort of scattered around permanently join you. Lauren and Sue both rejoin your party. Uh, Dave rejoins your party, and the leader of the uh, of the the, the anti API organization, uh, Ariti, joins your party permanently. Astria, isn't it? Astria. Astria. Astrea, yes, that's the name Astrea, of the organization, yeah. right? Yeah, Ariti is the head of Astra of Astrea, and all of them join your party. And basically, through this whole game, after you um after uh, you escape the jail, you can you basically have a free reign of who's in your party, but sometimes you're required to have certain members. Like like a, a Cybe needs to be in your party after after he recruits after you recruit him and you do the next couple dungeons. And uh, in this new Lupian section, Orson is a required part of your party and so on. But uh, Orson is a bit of a black mage. He can cast a bunch of elemental spells and a bunch of anti-spectral spells. And um, but otherwise, he's a hard-boiled detective. That it's like a fan of film noir. The character, I don't know, didn't it? I, I liked the idea of it. I like the, again, this is the kind of thing. I like the idea of this entire section, but it just, everything was just a little bit too convenient for me. Like, yeah, the mayor is murdered, but you have 24 hours before you get arrested to prove your innocence, which seems like it shouldn't be your job. It seems like that should be maybe the police's job. Um, and then, you know, Orson comes in to give you a hand with this. And even then, the clues are pretty obvious. Like, your detective work is very, very uh, elementary. And the fact that this is an alien society, but that, you know, has its own little thing. But this character looks identical to a 1940s police or, uh, film noir detective, except for the fact he's a ghost in the thing. It's like they came up with an idea for what they wanted the character to look like. And then they kind of shoehorned it into this world and I, yeah again it's just the abrupt nature of this game and you could tell that there was an idea that they wanted this hard-boiled detective character and they wanted a detective sequence but instead of having it you know come somewhat organically and be a significant portion of the game uh like the scenario that i mentioned a few minutes ago of you being framed for murder and meeting orson that whole thing takes like 45 seconds it's so fast that it's almost weird 45 um, seconds and you're released in that time as well right you're not allowed to leave town but you're re you're released to, to give free reign in the town until you, you know, like basically demanding that you find evidence which is you know a very rpg thing to sort of quietly take over an, ex an investigation to solve a crime but done even even less smoothly here than in uh, other similar games like i think it could have been 
I don't know how this would have been for programming, but at the very least, it could have been that the characters that are in your party at the time of the poisoning would be thrown in jail and your other characters need to go out to try to find the evidence. Oh, that would have been actually a really well done way to do that. Yeah, yeah and it, it would have given you an excuse to use characters that you haven't really used before, although there are no real battles in the sequence anyway, so that would be a moot point. Right, I, I think Saibi is in your party because he wants to find a lab that's on New Loop to uh, do more research into the mind control device. So for a while, it's just you, Saibi, and Orson, and then later on, uh, Zorv joins you permanently, and, and that's your four for the, the rest of the New Loop quests. Um, but again like i use that investigation period to talk to everyone in town and learn a little bit about the nulupians and uh and their society which was interesting like you could tell that they that uh zeboid came up with the idea for these aliens and their city and a, a significant amount of thought went into it and it's and they're it's a it's a cool concept but just you're you're in and out of there so fast that it, it doesn't it, if they'd given us more to do in this town it, it would come across better to me yeah, I feel like you don't do as much in on New Loop, comparatively. And after you find the three or four pieces of evidence that Orson is looking for, and you, which is, again, basically just figuring out which building is which, is, like or, Orson's like, all right, we found out uh, what happened here in the burger joint. Now we have to go to the library. So you go with, like, well, well which building's the library? And that's about as complicated as the investigation gets. But after you find all the evidence and talk to the police chief again, you are let off the hook with a remarkable casualness and uh, and are allowed to leave town and explore the outskirts to find the research lab and and and, and yeah that that's just sort of the pace of this game it's um it's a bunch of dungeon ideas and set piece concepts chained together quickly and sort of sort of not organically like it it, it didn't feel like plot points naturally flowed together and I'm, I'm probably repeating myself here and 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 that's why that's why i i felt more underwhelmed than impressed by the narrative design of this game. I agree with you. And in some ways, I think that characters in this game are actually more plot flags than they are characters. Like you, you run into them. They are a plot flag. You are with, they, they set off the next little chain of events and then you're with them for a little while. And then you can, you know, leave them on the ship if you want. And you often do. You know, I'm going to make a comparison. That's not a fair comparison at all, because this is a game that had mul that had millions of dollars into its budget while Cosmic Star Heroine is made by two people, uh, four, uh, maybe five if you count, um, one of the visual effects designers and the two composers. But um, in, in Mass Effect 1, there are, uh, there are six main characters, uh, plus, plus Shepard, and um, four of the main characters are aliens. And when you meet each of them in the, in the game's sort of first two zones... Uh, you learn a lot about each of the four of the four alien races, and sort of each of those characters is a fully fledged character in their own right. But they're also a sort of a venue to explain how their alien race and their society works. Because again, like Rex and the Krogans is very different from uh, from uh, Garrus and how the Turian police and army work. Like it, it's like those characters are an introduction to the different corners of Mass Effect while being characters in their own right. While these characters almost don't go past the concept stage. Like this is a, a diverse cast that each have a core concept in visual design and in gameplay and how their skills work. But once they join your party, like, like there's no in or very little incidental dialogue. There's uh, like, while well, Mass Effect is just chock full of dialogue. 
Um, there's not a lot of character development after they finish sort of the, the task that they joined you to perform. And as such, they just they feel almost almost like a faceless collection, even though they each have a distinct face. Do you, do you, know, do you know, understand what I mean? And it's getting, again, it's totally unfair comparing Cosmic Star Heroine to Mass Effect, even other than them being, you know, sci-fi RPGs where you travel between multiple worlds and recruit aliens. But it, it's like with Cosmic Star Heroine, the character design doesn't make it a f- very many steps past the concept stage while in mass effect they they start at the at a cool concept stage stage and then go much deeper do you, uh, do uh, the you... character the characters are extremely interchangeable and i think this might be unfair i'm taking a wild guess here that in their prior games because all of their prior games were uh comedies and to be honest some of them were damn funny um but in those cases Characters could be sketches as long as you gave them really good jokes that were aligned with that sketch. Like, that would be their character. That's how you would remember them. Um, But because I think they are going for this more serious tone, none of the characters are funny uh, at all. And But they also don't have, like, the... Because they're not funny. If they're not funny, they need better dialogue they need character development they need character interactions for you to remember them and it's just not there like there's just nothing there for you to uh get who these people are i i I don't think they're totally unfunny like i I think that orison and maybe even clark or, or or even just how sudden finn's introduction is like they're funny for one second and then they're with you for the rest of the game, and you're wondering. And at at the last couple of dungeons, you're wondering, like, why the hell are they still here? It's it's like in, it, while while in in games that are that are brief and obvious parodies, like Cthulhu Saves the World, the jokes are sort of funny and stay funny. While these, like like they the introductions are kind of a joke, and then when the joke's over, you're it's just it's just sort of puzzling the way that they that that you accrued all these characters. Um, I sometimes I somewhat wonder if they had gone with a much more Final Fantasy II style, where it's you have your core team of three or four, and then if you had like a rotating member in and out constantly, uh. if that might have worked better, rather than drag them around with you. My favorite game that Z Boy made is Penny Arcade Four, on or, or I should say on the Rain Slick Precipice of Darkness Four, and in that game you have four main characters, or, or actually five main characters, but then one is replaced by the. The, the, is, is replaced by a fifth but you recruit monsters um per, uh, smt style or even like pokemon style almost and equip them to your to the main characters so you have this core group of characters that you can develop and treat like real characters but also have these interchangeable recruits that you find that add flavor and and uh and, and allow you to change your move sets a little bit so it's Mm-hmm. Like, like these game, these characters because they are sort of fleeting in their introduction almost feel like collecting pokemon <laughs> yeah a little bit like that but and and i think the concept works when you collect a bunch of pokemon and make a team of pokemon or collect a bunch of you know demons or personae or what have you and then attach them to more developed characters but in cosmic star hair when they sort of they sort of straddle those ideas and it doesn't totally work i mean at the end of the game i i kept my uh, basically my four favorite characters around it, it was always Alyssa, sue Sybe, and orson and sometimes i would switch out orson for chan but mm. uh, like th- those were the four or five i used basically for the whole rest of the game because i i just i just didn't feel attached to anyone else 
Uh, so, Audra, that was my team. Uh, did you have a four that, or maybe a four plus one or two that you settled on by the end of the game? Pretty much Alyssa, Chan, Laura, or Lauren. I can't. Uh, Lauren is the character, and Laura Lauren. is uh, yeah. Laura, Laura is the actress and singer that is <laughs> that I think she's based on. Lauren and Sybe were pretty much my main, and then I think I sometimes put Zorv in. With with Lauren, did you use her uh, her status effect attacks a lot? Because I, I think Lauren was sort of the cunning character. Again, cunning is one of the stats here, uh, and and uh, and cunning increases your status effect um, skills. Like, cause it, cause you sort of build Lauren as like a fast rogue or as a status effect monster. Did you, did you, which way did you go with her? I used the fast rogue approach. Okay. Pretty yeah. much. For me, it was always like Alyssa would boost herself. Saibi would, uh, would sing one of his songs. Um, uh, Sue would be, uh, just a, a physical powerhouse adjusting his tie and then like whacking people with style, with style enhanced mm-hmm. moves. Uh, and and Orson was uh, has a, has one move that's really powerful at max boost, so I would have him boost himself up a ton, uh, and and keep using that gravity move of his. Like like those four characters. Oh, and, and Chan I use mostly for like half gun Mancy, half support spell, half healing spells. Uh, like uh, each of those five characters, I really liked the sort of gameplay loop you could make with each of them. Um, and I couldn't always figure out the, the other characters like, like like with lauren i could see that she had a bunch of these fast rogue moves and a bunch of status moves and like and dealing a ton of damage to enemies that had multiple statuses on them and stuff but and like I, I could sort of see the the shape of how to of how to build her but didn't it didn't quite i couldn't quite figure it out or quite click with me and like oh boy going to, to clark's chain electricity move i didn't even want to figure that out i had no idea how to use clark <laughs> I felt I, bad about that a little I, bit. I think, I think I mentioned this before. Like, I could tell Clark has a bunch of moves for increasing style a lot, and a couple moves that were minor boosts, and then one move that just dealt incredible electricity damage if you could chain a couple other moves together. But uh, I just wasn't interested in, in working with him. Like, the, uh, the style stuff I liked using was uh, having Alyssa and uh, Sue have, like, style explosions of physical act uh, moves after building it up a little bit. I did like Sue a lot too. I think I, I, I Sue was one of my favorite characters as well. Yeah, Sue felt very human to me because like like he was like just trying to be a good boss. He's kind of this this tough guy. He gets a he gets attack boosts by fainting an attack or adjusting his tie. I I just I really liked his vibe. He ended up being one of my favorite characters. And he even has the son that you can recruit. Yep his 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 character mission is uh hey my son is in one of these damn mafia prisons can we bust him out and then and then his he joins your your space and you do yep yeah <laughs> I I did like the his his post credit scene where he's the new director of uh, of the API it's like like good for you Sue you deserve the promotion dude yeah that was pretty <laughs> I hope you got Actually, a new tie I liked Orson's as well for the oh yeah whole throwback to film noir <laughs> yeah he, he gets a he gets a a ghost robot femme fatale entering his office hmm. but uh, uh Jono did you have a favorite loadout of characters that you used for the final dungeon or two generally I would use Alyssa John Sue and I would kind of play around with the fourth character but it was often Sybe. yeah so that, that's almost the same as mine um I, yeah. I uh but again like i love party tinkering and party building it's one of my favorite things in rpgs full stop so i like i could talk about 
Persona and Nocturne Demon Fusion for a full episode solo with no with no one else on the on the panel. Um, so like like I I really enjoyed figuring out each of these characters and sort of the one or two ways to build them and then building my favorite uh, like putting my favorite team together. Uh, and, and and that's something that I think Z-Boyd Games does very well in their games. And that was probably my favorite thing in Cosmic Star Heroin was uh, like settling on a team, even though even though I wish the characters were more developed, it, like in narrative and not just in gameplay design. Yeah, the game's battle system is probably I think it's the best thing about the game. And the way that you can customize characters and the and uh, the strategy of being able to see whose turn it is and with style and like it. It, there's some very very clever stuff in there um that i think they developed very well like it's it's so annoying because there's so much that's really good about this game and i wish that it had uh i wish that it had the narrative cohesion and character development to tie that together into a uh into a uh a package that makes me actually want to play it but moving on a little bit let's let's get to the end of the story here uh, after you find the lab you're looking for in new look um you confront uh Alyssa's rival rival echo briefly and then finally commander steel or i should say director steel it, it's clear that the mind control device that he's holding on him has been affecting his mind uh and is he's somewhat not himself when you're fighting when he, he like he was already not himself and kind of become a, a megalomaniac when he when he first betrays Alyssa, but but now he's gone further off the deep end. And after that battle, the maybe most puzzling character turn or twist in the whole game is that uh, a Reedy betrays you, takes the mind control device, and has been revealed to be the architect of this of the evil from the beginning. Um, I, I, actually, no. I I I I skipped a step. First, you, uh, first you defeat Steel. He retreats. You confront him on an asteroid belt dungeon, and at the end of that dungeon, Aridi betrays you. So I, hmm. I don't know. It wasn't much of a, it wasn't much of a skip. But was um, this before or after the Blackbird shows up? That is before, because the the, the yeah. Blackbird the Blackbird appears um, after you def- after Aridi betrays you. Uh, they reveal this ship that was hidden inside an asteroid. And uh, the robot that has been sort of controlling Steel and Ariti is on that ship. And, and Ariti frees the ship, and it prepares to attack the three civilized planets that you've been uh, that you've been traveling between, um, and, and presumably use the mind control device on all of them. Mm. Yeah, it's weird. Like, and I thought Ariti as a character was actually kind of interesting—a a freedom fighter who. Uh, I don't believe she has functioning eyes anymore. So she has these, this, this eye drone that floats around her and acts as her sort of seeing eye drone. And then she can use the, she can summon drones to, to have persistent attacks in battle. Like as a, as a character, she's sort of fun to use and interesting to use. Cool concept. Yeah. But, but as a surprise villain reveal, when there was, I don't think any foreshadowing, other than her, like looking around the lab, the, the very the very first dungeon of the game after you leave, maybe, uh, and yeah. that that also made me wonder again because there's this ancient robot or ancient AI that's in this ship that that Aridi uh, unearthed from the asteroid. That and I think that the robot tapped into the AI of the mind control device to control anyone that spent too much time around the the mind control devices. 
which so has and again this robot which is called eternity has been manipulating Aridi and steel from the beginning it makes me wonder is the ai that you talk to in the dungeon at the beginning of the game is that the final boss i think it's supposed to be that's oh what I, I never even thought of that that makes a lot of sense actually <laughs> Because, like, Dave's is a throwaway. He's like, huh, this AI, I guess, has been hanging around here ever since the people died. And I think that the the AI the AI is sort of trying to guide you to the monster in the dungeon to for you to die, but instead sort of lets you take the mind control device to steal and then take over Steel's mind instead. Because after the betrayal, uh, you reach Chapter 12 and have total freedom to do post-game stuff and optional side quests. And Saibi's side quest is visiting a hidden part of the lab. And if you check the the computer consoles and stuff in that lab, uh, you end up fighting some security robots. Uh, you find out that Aridi was one of the researchers in that lab. And when the uh, experiments lost control and killed all the scientists, she survived and, be, and embedded a mind control device into her drone. And her living with that drone connected to the mind control device basically made her a servant of, uh, of eternity and when she founded Astrea, she has basically her magnetic personality and her bringing people together was in part because she had a mind control device in her drone. Again, I don't think it's a bad concept, but with no foreshadowing and barely any dialogue that you have with Aridi leading up to this made it just seem out of left field and weird. Yeah, I mean, the only real clue they gave you is that they kind of forced her into the party right before the dungeon yeah. where she betrays you. But like everyone is for like whenever anyone joins you, it's almost like they're forced into your party. So that that didn't feel weird to me at the time. <laughs> now that I think about it, some of the paper thin motivations of people to betray uh, betray the agency and things like that probably could have exp been explained away with some uh, creative use of the mind control device. If Steel was like you, it wasn't your idea to betray it to betray you. I needed to, to get you in. I needed to make you betray us to get you inside to this agency or something like that. Something to cover up the reason that their their rationale is so flimsy. I mean, they use it as an, as a vague explanation for some of Aridi and Steel's actions, yeah. but I think like, I, I, I like almost... Lauren at one point, but is like, did she use it on me? Is that why I joined? Yeah, exactly. Like, like that, that's. I wish we had more dialogue like that because that that's the kind of establishing facts and and, and you know character dialogue that we need in this game. Like, if they had used the mind control devices as more of a storytelling telling crutch, it probably would have helped. It would have been interesting, especially uh, if you didn't get Saibi's blocker until a little bit later in the game, and you kept going on these missions for her, even sometimes if they didn't make any sense. And then you eventually get the mind control device and all of a sudden her orders, suddenly you start questioning them again, maybe something like that. Yeah, like if you start to get more suspicious and and events and like characters called aloud, why like why is why are we doing this? Um, why does this doesn't really make sense if like if they had drawn more attention to that after you get the, the mind control blocking device, that, that would have helped, too. But there, there isn't any of this. You, you just almost sprint from mission to mission until steel's gone ariti betrays you uh now we have to go fight this alien spaceship that looks vaguely like samus's ship 
Oh, I was going to say it looks like the Blackbird. A right. lot like the Blackbird. Uh, especially when they do that that shot over top of the of like the wings. It, <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a Chrono Trigger reference. It's another one for, that's not earned. It's just I, there. I, I, I thought it looked vaguely trapezoidal, kind of like Samus's ship. But it, it, uh, it, it, again, this game is just uh, full of references to 16-bit games. Um, yeah. But uh, before you go into that final dungeon of the ship, and, and I, I should mention, this is true of most of the dungeons, but there are... Uh, I think the dungeon backgrounds and art assets look fantastic, but the dungeon layouts themselves are almost at a quest 64 level of bland. Yeah. It's just kind of start at one end, go to the other. When the swamp had you find two uh, statue eyes to unlock a gate, it was almost, it was almost uh, overwhelmingly elaborate for this game. Like the, the final dungeon is one of the worst culprits. It's a purely linear path with occasional offshoots to get an endgame weapon or armor treasure chest. Mm-hmm. It, it's... Including including one that you can't use, which I thought was funny, but at the same time, like, hmm? Yeah, you get a weapon for a Reedy, but, uh, which, again, she's not in your party and never rejoins. So, that again, that, that's a bit of a gameplay joke that is... I think that was referenced in a Fantasy Star game. Oh, maybe. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, in either Fantasy... Okay, in uh, minor spoilers, in Fantasy Star 2 and 4, a party member dies par- uh, around the halfway mark. And I believe in one or both of them, you find a weapon or armor for the dead party member in a future dungeon. I think that's right. But you know, it must be it must be Fantasy Star Two because in Fantasy Star Four, a different character can equip the weapons of the person that dies. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm I might be prognosticating a little bit because I, I've read a bit about Fantasy Star, but I've only played Four, which is a very very good uh, video game and an RPG that Cosmic Star Heroine is definitely influenced by uh mm. definitely um especially in the designs of the of the three women uh, like uh Alyssa, uh chan and lauren feel like they were in a lost fantasy star game uh you know finn too fantasy star 4 and chrono trigger might be the two most obvious influences for cosmic star heroine and uh that's fine because those are two great rpgs but i, I think maybe because in the promotional materials for this game, they mentioned those two games so much that I, I, I wonder if it, if it diminishes it for me. I think that if they mentioned it, it wouldn't have been that big a deal, except for the fact that it looks so damn good. Like the level of polish on this game in terms of its uh, pixel art presentation is quite remarkable. And I think that the level of polish that they put onto the battle system is quite remarkable. The, the the sprites look great and the environments look great. I I wish that there was more of this game for me to appre- to for me to appreciate at that level. Yeah, um, and I think that those two factors kind of lull you into expecting a narrative to match, and it doesn't, and that's disappointing. Like we were talking about now that we're at the end game, the character quests, but like the vast majority of si- the purpose of a, of a character side quest is to give that character more depth to explore them, uh, and who they are outside of the main plot. Every single one is very much a go someplace, fight through a fairly short linear dungeon, uh, and get maybe a couple of lines at the end. Like with Sue, for example, you learned that at one point Sue was a uh, ran with the gangs, right. but that's it. Like th- no one recognizes him. No one like it doesn't have any impact on his character or even that side quest. And at the very end, you you know you don't even technically rescue his son. His son was in the process of rescuing himself, so it just kind of makes a lot of the end game uh, yeah. character quests just feel pointless and useless and just reasons to get like end game stuff. 
you just sort of clear some of the mobsters out for Sue's son to escape. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to challenge you a little bit for only about one half of a second. I think that Cybe's dungeon isn't bad for learning about uh, a little bit more about Aridi. Yeah, but that's Cybe. Yeah, but Cybe is. Other than that, you're totally right. And again, this is the uh, we we are the three founding members of the Cybe Appreciation Station. Yeah, exactly. But like, Dave says, you go to an arcade and you fight. And and you fight. You fight a like. Uh, <laughs> you you fight like the 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 evil AI from War Games at the end. Exactly. Or like with uh, Chan, you go to a temple, which is her. You know, the the birthplace of her uh, gunmancy. And you beat a, you know, you get to, you get to, is it you beat a boss? Yeah, I think it, you beat up some wolves. A couple, yes. no, yeah, it's it's three dogs, um, <laughs> or three ghost dogs. It's it's not even a proper dungeon. You just say, hey, do you want to do the trial? And you say yes, and and you fight some ghost dogs. And um, then you leave, and the woman outside is like, holy crap, you did the trial, and you're like, yes, I did. And then the woman says, "I'll join your, I'll join your ship," and she gives you a gunmancy bonus. Which, like, yeah, if Chan's in your, if Chan's in your party, having that gunmancy bonus is really good. It's a, it's like fifty percent. Um, yeah, but that's sort of that's sort of it, and the, that's the character side quests. And say what you will, but like character side quests in Chrono Trigger, and yes, I again, and in, it's and, in Ma- and in Mass Effect, like their character side quests are the best part of Mass Effect too. Yeah, and like even Chrono Trigger had side had side content that developed npcs like the side quest where you go off and you uh you uh toma's entire uh thing where you have to pour the quote-unquote soda on toma's grave and stuff like that yeah like, toma's pop clearly not liquor <laughs> yeah um but like it's just not here and it's it's so funny because it's not a whole lot of dialogue like the side quests in chrono trigger there's not a whole lot of extra dialogue in there that uh that is needed but it's contextual and even better you get to see the consequences of those quests and i yes i get it is because it's a time travel game but you still get to see the difference those quests make but there's no differences in this like you complete the quest and you might get an extra piece of equipment or a new ability but that's it there's no change of character there's no new perspective there's nothing like in the case of lauren her entire side quest is an optional like super boss and the reward is have all of the money yeah, I, I never had a problem with money in this game. After maybe the first two dungeons, I was just drowning in money all the time. I, I, mm. I think there is a money penalty at the very highest difficulty, which I did not play on. But I, I, money was almost a non-factor to me in this game. Yeah, and that's sort of what it is. And and in the end game, also you had like lots and lots of uh, like all the hidden bosses, which were all of the references to prior games. Right. There's uh, Cthulhu from Cthulhu Saves the World and Cthulhu Saves Christmas. Uh, Lita and Dem from Breath of Death Seven, then uh, a, a couple bosses like I, I, there's the uh, there's the arcade game master and the the security dr- robot in the uh, uh, in in Cybe's dungeon and the ghost dogs. It's they're not a bad collection of of challenges. Like like I, I had to you know you had to sort of figure out the strategy and win out for each of them. Oh, and there's also the, the, the giant sandworm in front of uh in front of the, the, the jail where Sue's son is. Which is uh, interesting that the hardest part is at the very beginning rather than at the end. Right. Each of those bosses I think were fine as boss encounters, but maybe seeking them out and getting those items were one of the more interesting parts of the game because even though they're not nearly as developed as these legendary side quests in Chrono Trigger like like Mother Brain or or Fiona's Forest 
or uh or or, or even uh, Marl rec- reconciling with her dad like like nothing is at that level but this at least gives you some freedom and some variety uh, because I, again i thought the final dungeon was a was a bit head scratchingly disappointing hmm. i i understand where you're coming from and the thing the annoying part is like everything else in this game is like the bosses really well designed really interesting me- uh, gameplay mechanics in a lot of places like they're challenging to fight uh but there's just not the narrative or character threads that properly utilize them. Yeah, I would have just liked the more some more meat on the character quests, personally. Yeah, a little yeah. bit more meat. If if the if the narrative rewards were bigger and the dungeons were a little bit longer, I, I would have welcomed it. And I think that actually can go for the entire game. Like the side quests are like a microcosm of the game as a whole. Which is kinda like, well, no meat on the bones, but great looking skeleton. <laughs> Again, I, I said this in the previous episode. This is there's a bit of a kitchen sink approach here. They had a bunch of great ideas and they threw them all together, but there isn't a lot of like the narrative glue. It isn't always that great. And 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 when the game was good, I was having a lot of fun. Like when I was fit, when uh, characters would learn new skills. And I would sort of readjust their builds and and figure out what what each were, were capable of, or the the better boss designs in the game, like figuring out their gimmick and then and getting your sort of your characters loops going. All of that was really fun, but there either was not enough of it or it wasn't coherent. And and again, this is a game I was really excited for. I uh, I gave a fair amount of money to the Kickstarter. My name is in the end credits. You can uh, and and also in the spy directory, and that you can check on your ship's computer. Um, and I won't say exactly how much I gave, but if you want to go to the old Kickstarter page and find out what the reward, what the dollar amount was for designing a boss fight, you can, you can do that, I guess. I I did design one of the boss fights that we briefly mentioned uh, a little while ago. So uh, would you mind me indulging a little bit and uh, telling you a story? No, please. Go ahead. Right. So um, where to begin? I, I loved Breath of Death 7, Cthulhu Saves the World, Penny Arcade 3 and 4. I, I think my, my favorite is Penny Arcade 4, but I really like all four of them. Ranking them would be a challenge for me. Uh, and, I, and, and this was exactly the kind of studio and kind of game I was excited to give a Kickstarter to. And when this Kickstarter project was running, I, I think 2013 or 2014, I could be off by a year or two there. Like I was prepared to save up and, and give a, a, a non-trivial amount to it. So, and I was excited to do this. And, uh, and my best friend, David, um, he, he, he helped me out by giving me a, a portion of the money so we could design the boss fight together. Cause this was like, I, he and I became friends because we were designing fake Mega Man and Final Fantasy bosses at the playground in elementary school. So when we designed the, uh, when we came up with ideas for bosses, um, we sort of together came up with the idea of, putting my childhood dog Rosie into the game because um, uh, Rosie was a Labrador retriever of a very very sweet lovable dog and she uh, one thing she loved to do was carry around a garden rake all around the all around the yard like it like like it was her favorite toy she would accidentally clothesline herself trying to walk through gates with the the rake that was too big for the gate um, <laughs> and when she was like, like lying in the backyard, especially when she was a little bit older, with like with like holding a rake in her mouth, sort of watching over her domain. Like we used to joke that she was like a samurai holding her, uh, holding a spear or something. 
So David and I sketched out this idea of a, of a dog samurai holding a, holding a, a, a naginata or something. And, uh, and we, and through an exchange of emails with uh, Bill Sternberg from Z Boyd, he decided, Hey, well, uh, this was your, um, dog who's no longer with us, right? We can, we can make her a ghost dog because we're, we, we're again, monsters in this game are either organic, robotic, or, or, or spectral and have her be sort of a, a, a mid boss ghost dog. And that, that's what we ended up doing. Uh, so Rosie is the guardian of the gun Mancy shrine, uh, optional boss. Oh, Wow. No, that's really nice. And and, and like I, I was expecting that to call for them to call it just Ghost Dog Samurai or something, but no, they they called her Rosie in the in the text of the game. So yeah, my my childhood dog who used to love playing around with with rakes bigger than she was is in Cosmic Star Heroine. Neat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, uh, when I tried playing this game, um, when it came out. I, I think I was distracted by life stuff and RPG fan stuff. Uh, and, and I didn't get very far because, like, again, I was a little bit underwhelmed by the first couple dungeons of the game. And I ended up shelving it sem- uh, semi-permanently. But I'm glad that I finally got to give this game a sincere effort and play it long enough to uh, defeat my childhood dog's ghost and then see, and then see my name in the end credits. <sighs> so, yeah. That that was my uh, weirdly personal story. Thanks for uh, allowing me to share it on the podcast, <laughs> John and Audra. Oh, oh, you're welcome. Pleasure. That was actually really neat. Uh, but you you probably, if you are willing to give enough to a Kickstarter, you can probably get your childhood pet into a video game too. If you if you're uh, if you know exactly what to do and where to look. But uh, I, I I think we're basically. Um, done discussing cosmic star heroin here I, I and again we're weirdly i think the tone of this episode has been a little negative but i i truly didn't hate this game because I, I again it's only about 12 hours i don't like i uh there was fun parts there was uh fun battle design and like i don't think my time was wasted that much because you're in and out in less than a quarter of the time i i did playing uh playing shin megami tensei nocturne uh a few months ago I thought it was a fun, like '90s aesthetic, sci-fi aesthetic. Yeah, it's 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 a romp. It's a game you can finish in in a weekend, and I think it was fun for that reason. But I I think I maybe uh, when I gave to the Kickstarter, I expected a little more, and that undertone of this game not being very fluidly designed, and the story tone being weird, uh, just made made me like feel slightly underwhelmed and not just whelmed. Yeah, uh, for me, the game just didn't make any kind of impression on me at all. I did not have a bad time when I was playing it. I was not dreading my time playing it. There's nothing about the game that actively makes you not want to play it, but there's nothing about the game that makes you want to play it either. Um, Great battle system, stunning aesthetic. I think just a ridiculously weak uh, storyline and characters. And that would be my bottom line. Uh, unfortunately, because, you know, all of their other games, including their follow-up, Cthulhu Saves Christmas, which I really, really liked, and which I think took a lot of lessons from this game uh, and pushed them forward. Like, Cthulhu Saves Christmas is a much shorter game than this, but the characters almost feel better developed in terms of their motivations. And maybe it's because of the thing I was talking about before, where they could tell jokes and the comedic jokes could push forward the characters a little bit more. But 
I, yeah, I, I think Cthulhu Saves Christmas had a more deliberate comedy tone, and yeah. and and that is more suited to their narrative design and their writing. And also, I think part of the reason Cosmic Star or Heroine was delayed past their initial estimates was because it, it was a big game, and it took them a long time to get all the systems to align properly and for and for Bill to develop all of these art art assets. Because again, there's nothing in uh, Cthulhu Saves Christmas that's as sort of like demanding um, art-wise as the world map and multiple planets in uh, in Cosmic Star Heroine. So I, I think that they, by scaling back how big the game was and by striking a more of a comedic tone and giving more time and attention and dialogue to the characters, because the four main characters in Cthulhu Saves Christmas, they like you, you uh, are allowed to make choices to spend more time with them, and each of them has a bit there of a narrative. Yeah, has, has, yeah, has the relationship system and more of a narrative thread uh that like basically by giving you more dialogue with more purpose and more time and attention to the characters the 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 character development is just better in cthulhu saves christmas yeah i'm hoping that carried that forward into their next game yeah i i I think that they learned lessons from cosmic star heroine i don't think they're ever going to make a game as big as this again and and but but still keep the good battle design and sort of uh and balance time investment with reward that Cthulhu Saves Christmas does. It's, I, yeah. I, I don't think, I, I again, I don't think I hated, I, I, I don't dislike Cosmic Star Heroin at all. I really I don't, don't dislike it either. I but just it, don't it, like it. I, I just, I, I think it's, I think it's just good, but a little, but it doesn't live up to its full potential. Is, it's is my good, favorite. but it could have been better, I guess, maybe. Yeah. We just describe it. My, my expectations might've been a little too high going in is, is my ultimate takeaway. But uh, listeners, I always will have high expectations of you, and you will always meet or exceed them. Uh, thank you so much for uh, listening to this slightly meandering, slightly confusing episode of Retro Encounter that I, but I think, is definitely honest on the part of all three of us. Uh, this is a not a bad and a mostly interesting game that just has just has weird tonal and narrative uh, choices that don't always land, but. Uh, so speaking of spaceships and things that land, uh, next week we were doing, or I should say the next two weeks, we were doing episodes episodes on Star Trek adventure games. Jono, I know you're a big Star Trek fan and a big I adventure am. game fan. So this is this seems like you're exactly in the center of this Venn diagram. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I played these games years ago, and I'm, I'm super excited to uh, dive into them on uh, retro. Right, and um, so I don't have to look them up myself. Uh, what are the two games? Uh, the two games are Star Trek 25th Anniversary and Star Trek Judgment Rights. Uh, they were two uh, games that were released in the 90s, uh, more following the Sierra-style adventure game than the LucasArts. Um, there were other Star Trek 25th Anniversary games, like there's one for the NES, and I think there's one for the Game Boy, too, but they're all different games. This one is a, a pretty solid point-and-click adventure game. Right. I think if I had cast my mound around, I could have said the names right, but there was a chance I would, I would have gotten one of the nouns <laughs> wrong in judgment rights. So, so thank you for that. But uh, after uh, those two Star Trek episodes, we're doing two episodes on East origin. That is the uh, started out on PC, but now is basically on a bunch of different systems, action RPG for uh, that came out in the mid two thousands in between East, the Oath and Felgana and East seven. It's also the only East game that does not star at all. Kristen, um, but it is a very, very good East game that I played several years ago. 
and I'm excited to revisit it for the podcast. Right now, I'm mostly consumed by Tales of Arise and my ongoing quest to finish all the Yakuza games. Yay. But, but very soon, <laughs> I will be playing a different game that starts with Y. And uh, that is the our big game journal for the second half of November. But listeners, if you want to talk, reach out and talk to us about Cosmic Star Heroine or Star Trek or East or Yakuza, the best way to do so is to email retro at RPGFan.com. You can also comment on RPGFan.com's message boards, our Facebook page, our Instagram, our Twitter, our Discord, our YouTube, our Twitch, something streaming every day on Twitch, something going on on each of those channels every day. Please interact with us however you want to interact with us. There's also three other fine podcasts on ret- on whoops on RPGFan.com, starting with Random Encounter every two weeks, hosted mostly by you, Jono. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Greg should be back pretty soon, but uh, yeah, we're hosts. And also Rhythm Encounter, uh, episodes of which both you and I have hosted, Jono. We have, and uh, the one that's coming out next week is Piano Music. I think that episode will be out already uh, by the time this episode drops. Because we're, yeah. we're, we record things out of order sometimes on RPG Fan. But, Audra, have yeah, you been on Stunning a, music. I, Audra, have you been on, on an episode of Rhythm yet? I haven't yet. Oh, come I on. I want to. Girl. It seems fun. It is fun. We, we, well, uh, I'm not going to tell the listeners how, but you know how to go to the staff page to check out the next couple of Rhythm Encounter episodes. So please do that, Audra. And listeners, please listen to Random and Rhythm Encounter. Uh, the fourth podcast on RPG Fan is Phoenix Edge, our partner podcast hosted by Het and Eric and others. Um, they mostly they are mostly weekly, mostly hosted live on YouTube, and mostly about current events. But you can review Retro Encounter or those other three podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, whatever listening venue you choose. I use a, a, a iPhone app called Podcruncher. Uh, please give us feedback. We love feedback. But if you want to give us feedback as individuals and not as a podcast, you can do that as well. How can listeners find you on social media, starting with you, Jono? Uh, you can find me at Jono underscore Logan. At Twitter, you can send me an email to jlogan at rpgfan.com, or if you have something uh, for Random Encounter, you can send it to podcast at rpgfan.com. And Audra. Audra B at rpgfan.com, and I have no Twitter yet. I think I say this on epi- every episode that we're on together, Audra, but I am quietly jealous at your lack of Twitter. <laughs> Because I think I think Twitter has been useful for me as uh, to personally outreach to others, but basically bad for my mental health over the past several Aww. years. It's absolute poison. I cannot recommend I cannot recommend Twitter in good faith. But uh, listeners, I it, it, because I'm trapped in Twitter like my own you know like my own prison under someone's mansion. Um, yeah, I'm I'm stuck here, so you can find me there. Uh, I am at the real monsoon most of the time at Evoker for Dogs other times, and on RPG Fans Discord, I am at Monsoon Mike. Uh, so, boy, we have some more sci-fi episodes ahead of us, but I start need to stop thinking about spaceships and start thinking about climbing a tower. Listeners, thank you, good night, and good luck.